Welcome to Caribbean Thought. Oops, I didn't realize I had that. Welcome to Caribbean Thought. Um, let me close this. I'm, I have a very interesting topic to deal with today. I have a very interesting topic to talk with you guys about today. Um, one of the things that uh, I have a very, I have a very interesting topic to talk to you guys about today. I want to talk um, because the last class and good evening to all of you. I think how many people we have in the class so far? We have about ten. Um, the last class we started to trace. Uh, we started to trace. Caribbean thinking, Caribbean works as a way to revisit Caribbean history. There's a word that I'm going to introduce in this course, which I don't believe it was ever introduced in this course before. The issue of cosmopo co the cosmopolitan, the cosmopolitan or cosmopolitanism, cosmopolitanism. And I want you to write that word, C-O-S. M O S, so C O S M O P O L I T A N I S M. That's not on the syllabus, but I'm, I read widely. I do a lot of research while reading and reading Homi Baba again as I prepare for this lecture. I realized that Homi Baba deals with the issue of there's a chapter in Homi Baba's book. Well, it's Homi Baba from, who is from India wrote the book, The Location of Culture, very powerful book that, that I think it, and, and she's a literary genius. And, but she deals with topics such as anthropology and the issue of cosmopolitan. Was Bob Marley a cosmopolitan? Am I a cosmopolitan? What is the cosmopolitan? Who is, when we think about Caribbean and Caribbean identity, who is the cosmopolitan? How did the cosmopolitan feature? And in the preface, in the preface of, in the preface of her book, in the preface of her book, um, she writes, looking back, moving forward, notes, on vernacular cosmopolitanism. And this is from taken from the location of culture, Baba from the location of culture. Again, she writes, looking back, moving forward, notes on vernacular cosmopolitanism. And I'm gonna add that to the syllabus and add a question for, and probably might want to interact, but we're not gonna delve into this too much. But what is, what, what is cosmopolitanism? And why does Homi Baba begin with cosmopolitanism in the law? Notice the, the title of the book. The title of the book is The Look. And I said to, and by the way, I didn't say to you, to this class, but to other class, when you read a piece of material, the cover of the book is important. You don't judge a book by its cover, but the book tells, the cover tells you a lot about the author and the thing you're going to come. It's, it's, the location of culture, but more so, why the location of culture? Where is culture, in other words? Where is culture? 
Where is the center? Where is the center? Where is the center? Where are things happening? So of course, definitely notice the location of culture. And in this book, she talks a lot about the periphery and the center. The periphery and the center. Okay? So the periphery and the center. And so when she talks, she's asking the question about the location of culture. The issue of culture is very in Caribbean thought. And in Caribbean, we talk about culture. Culture is very important, way of life of a people. But of course, that's the raw definition. It goes, culture goes beyond that, but there are problems with culture. But she starts the book by is looking back, moving forward, notes on vernacular cosmopolitanism. And when you begin to read this, this particular section of her book, you, it gives you an understanding as to why she would begin with that because, because she starts with her own experience. I think some students, one student in one of the classes I taught to, said, critiqued or challenged me, said, oh, the professor is always talking about himself. Oh, the professor is always talking about himself. And, um, and I say to you, the professor, when you read a book, when you exegete scripture, you begin with who? The author. Yes? You begin with the person writing. What is the context the person writing? What, is his, what are his influences? So you need to, so the facilitator of this course, what are his influences? How does he speak and connect with the, the experiences of Caribbean and this? In fact, what gives him the authority to facilitate this course, him living in America over the last 10 years or 12 years? What gives, what gives him, and okay, but then we talk about the Caribbean diaspora and we ask what is the connection between the Caribbean What is the connection between the Caribbean? I'm gonna turn off my notifications because they are constantly interfering while I'm teaching in the class. Um, get notifications and apps from the sidebar. No, enough is enough. There we go. So we talk about um, what is the connection of the, of the, of the, of the, the, people, the cosmopolitan. Where is culture? Homi Baba starts by saying, I was not one of midnight's children. I was not one of midnight's children. I wonder what you mean. Notice, notice how she speaks in poetry. And she actually has a note. She, she noted. She, and the good thing about her, when she writes, you can go back to the notes. So it says note two. And you can check. What does she mean by that? And then you can check what she means by that. Uh, that's the conclusion. She has notes for days. <laughs> Where is the note? Dissemination. Here we go. Uh, oh, okay. By the way, I need to add to the reading for class VS Nepal, the middle passage Impressions of Five Societies. Again, VS Nepal wrote a book called The Middle Passage. 
impressions of five societies, British, French, and Dutch in the West Indies and South America. And, um, and you got, and I think I'm gonna, I, I added, it may be on the list already, I'm not sure, but if not, please check the syllabus and show that this book is on there. V.S. Nepal, The Middle Passage. The book is called The Middle Passage, Impressions of Five Societies, British, French, and Dutch in the West Indies. We're not gonna delve too much into this book. I'm just giving an, I just wanted to bring something to your attention. In July, when we begin, when we start the last four weeks in the class, what I wanna do is, or next week, I want to lift up some books written by Franz Fanon, Homi Baba, so on and so forth. And we want to do a book review. We're going to do, so not this month, not this week or next week, but three, two weeks from now, Shanta remind me, we are, part of the assignment is to do a book review. How do you do, do book review? But we talk about that, but I want you to do a book review. Um, some of you will do Homi Baba. Some of you will do Franz Fanon. Um, some of you will do Nelson and Evelyn Keith that talked about the social democratic origins of Jamaica, this book here. Um, I don't know if it's on the syllabus, but we, there were professors at Temple University and they wrote the book, The Social Origins of Democratic Socialism in Jamaica, their husband and wife. A very good, an exceptional book. So we will deal with them in the class later on. So um, you could do that. And um, there's another book that deals with structural adjustment, which is this if you want to learn about structural adjustment by Ramesh Ramsawan from Trinidad. So those books are quite important. Um, and of course, uh, that, that other book, um, Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and, is it, I can never find my book when I need it. Can I, can never find it. Um, but we will get to it in a second. But, um, but she said, I was not one of Midnight's children. My belated birth, some years after the midnight, the midnight hour that marked India's triest with freedom. Absented me from the, ep ep the epochal narrative or the epochal narrative. I was not there to witness the emergence of India and Pakistan born together from a cleft womb, still as restless in relation to each other as the day they stepped into the harsh light. In other words, she said she wasn't a midnight, and he said he wasn't midnight children, meaning that he wasn't born, he wasn't there, and we weren't midnight, we weren't there, well, I don't know, I mean, I, we weren't there in 1962, when Jamaica, when the coming of the Caribbean, we weren't there, and, and then Homie Bob is saying that I, I wasn't there, I wasn't there, my child, but then she talked about, at some point in her history, she left, or sorry, he left. But he left India. He said, my childhood was filled with accounts of India's struggle for independence, its complicated histories of subcontinental cultures, caught in that deadly embrace of imperial power and domination that always produces an uncomfortable residue of enmity and amity. In a small way, my early life was caught on the crossroads that marked the end 
of an empire. The post-colonial drive, the post-colonial drive towards the new horizons, the new horizons, the new nation, new people, new nations of a third world of free nations. Now we don't say third anymore, but third world of free nations. The Bandung spirit embroiled at times with a desire for the wayward modernist art and literature of Europe that was so much a part of the world of the Western, of the westernized Indian bourgeoisie. I need to say this again. I need to listen to this. This is quite important. This is this particular what I'm reading here. I, she said, my early life, he said, my early life was caught on the crossroads that marked the end, that marked the end of empire. The post-colonial drive towards the new horizons of a third world of free nations. The Bandung spirit embroiled at times with a desire for the wayward modernist art and literature of Europe that was so much a part of the world of the westernized Indian bourgeoisie. Talk about the westernized, the westernized man, the westernized man and woman, the westernized Indian bourgeoisie the westernized Jamaican bourgeois, Caribbean. He said, growing up in Bombay, in Bombay as a middle-class Parsi, middle-class Parsi, you know, uh, in the Indian, if you study the Indian, in Indian society, it's a caste or a class system, same thing, class, caste, same difference. Middle-class Parsi, a member of a small Jerostrian Persian minority in a predominantly Hindu and Muslim context. She was again growing up in Bombay as a middle class policy. He was a member of a small Zoroastrian Persian minority in predominantly Hindu and Muslim context. So when you look at Pakistan and India, uh, India, there was always this dynamic between Hinduism and Mus and that Muslim. She said, he said, I never imagined that I would live elsewhere. In other words, outside of India or Pakistan. Years later, I asked myself, and, and, and I say to you, I never imagined I would live outside of Jamaica. Never did, not once. I asked myself what it would be like to live without the unresolved tensions, the unresolved tensions between cultures and countries that have become the narratives of my life. The tension between cultures and countries that have become the narratives of my life and the defining characteristic of my work. Setting out from Bombay in the 1970s to study English at Oxford University was in many ways the culmination, the hallmark of an Indian middle-class trajectory, an Indian middle-class trajectory where formal education and high culture concluded in emulating the canons of elite English taste or what we knew of it and conforming to its customs and comforts. My everyday life, however, provided quite a different inheritance. It was lived in that rich cultural mix of languages and lifestyle that most cosmopolitan Indian cities 
celebrate and perpetuate in their vernacular, in their vernacular, vernaculate ordinary language, in their vernacular, vernaculate what? The ordinary language of people, in their vernacular existence, the existence, the ordinary language, the, la the language of commonality. Bombay, Hindustani, Parsi, Gujarati, Mongrel, Marathi, all held in a suspension of Welsh missionary accented English peppered with an Anglo-Indian patois that was sometimes cast aside for American slang, picked up from the movies or popular music. <laughs> I, I'm gonna read that again, and I want you guys to just close your eyes as you read it. And with, you know, I, I went to the dentist today to do some dental work. I'm not done, I have to go back. And while I was at the dentist, the, who was it? The dental assistant that it was, I think it was an Indian establishment. The persons that owned the dental clinic or the dental establishment, uh, they, they seemed to be of Indian ancestry. And um, I was having a conversation with uh, my nurse or whatever her name is, whatever. I was having a conversation with her and she said, She's, I, 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 we, we were talking. I said, you're from India. Oh, where are you from? You're from India, Packet. Where are you from? She said, yes, I'm from India. Oh, you know, I said, the accent. But she said, when you travel and you expose yourself, I mean, you learn so much about different people and things. I said to her, you get to notice things. But you, and the experience and how Jamaican experience and Caribbean experience connects with that Indian experience too, because they were colonized by the Brits. And you talk about, they were doing a project on the Caribbean, they were doing a project, they were making, they were trying to make all these countries British, all these countries with an English identity. Okay. But listen to what she said on page 10 of the preface. He said, setting out from Bombay in the 1970s to study English at Oxford was in many ways the culmination the culmination of an Indian middle-class trajectory where formal education and high culture concluded in emulating the canons of elite English. In other words, you know, when you go through Caribbean culture, when you go through post, um, the former colon, colonial people or, or part people of the Commonwealth or people who are formerly common um, colonized. And by the way, she talked about the Bandung spirit. You know what the Bandung spirit is? If you guys, um, Bandung, the Bandung, there was a Bandung conference where countries were, where nationalists were all coming together. They used to have all the countries come together to promote nationalism and all of that. And there was gonna be, a, and the, from the Bandung conference, there was a big spirit of unity and drive towards nationalism and all of that, free nations, free third world people. So she talks about looking back from the, looking back, you know, she, she, I, I referenced that. So Bandung, when she said Bandung, B-A-N-D-U-N-G, Bandung spirit, she is speaking about an experience. And if you don't, if we don't read widely about it, you will never know what Bandung is. I never knew what Bandung is until I went to, to University of Pennsylvania and started reading Homi Baba. So that's okay, okay? 
And I okay, and I'm a career student. <laughs> I tell you that. I career academic. I the band don't spring, and I was writing neoliberalism and doing studies about globalization and so on. And then I discovered the Bandung Conference and this Bandung spirit as part of Pan-Africanism, nationalism, so on and so forth. Okay. But she said, well, remember in a way, the topic, the title of her book is The Location of Culture. In other words, where is culture? She's a post-colonial sub, she's part, she's a post-colonial scholar, okay, who was coming from an experience of from uh, from experience where her society was colonized by the Brits. Yes. And okay, where people had a dream of a new world, a free third world. At the time it was called third world. Now we are now using language that moves away from that. Okay. A, a, a free nations. That's the Bandung spirit. Okay. The Bandung spirit, the post-colonial drive towards what? The new horizons of a third world. Sorry, no, I remember we're not saying that anymore. Of a of a of a of a of a of an independent of a of a of a of a global south, we say we use the word global south of a world of free nations, the Bandung spirit embroiled, you know, embroiled at times, embroiled at times, at times, with a desire for the wayward modernist art and literature. So, although, so in other words, she's quite, you know, by the way, just so you know, when you talk about binocular. Cosmopol cosmopolitanism, it's quite oxymoronic, isn't it? And I'm not going to talk about the oxymoronic, the, oxy the oxymoron of cosmopolitanism. But if I, I ask you, what is the cosmopolitan? By the way, if you are at, I hope that you guys do readings in cosmopolitanism. But if you have not, then you will do it in this course. If you read this book, this book looks at, deals with that. I don't know if you can get this, a copy of this book either. Okay, very good book, Homie Baba. It's on the, the syllabus. I think it's it's available in Jamaica and online. It's available in ebook form as well. But um, she, he leaves. He wasn't there to witness the dawning of a new day for India. Okay, this new independent free country. He left. He left and he talked about how his studies culminate, culminated, culminated or culminated into this northward, northward movement, this travel, cosmopolitanism, cosmos, the cosmos, cosmos. You know, when you try to, when you want to define, when you're reading a particular text, especially an English text and the word, say for example, you see the word cosmopolitanism, that's a technical word within anthropology and post-colonialism, okay? And globalization as well, but cosmopolitanism. But you, if, you, if you are following the line of logic that we are on, I say to you guys that in this course, well, I won't go for, I won't, I, if you follow the logic that, and the line of logic that we are on, then when you, if, when you, so, no, I remember I, I left, I, I went somewhere else just now. I say to you, the Caribbean is an invention of the 20th century. And a student in Caribbean theology said, no, we're not an invention. And I said, of course, normal Gervin, norm, no, Gervin talk and talks about, and Meeks 
and Etal talked about the Caribbean being the invention, the Caribbean mean the coming into being in the 19, in 1960s, in the 1900s. That, that band, that drive in the night that led to our independence, okay? The, the Caribbean as an invention with as nation states. So that's what he means when, when in the Caribbean reader, when he talked about the Caribbean is an invention of the 20th century, okay? But part of that invention has been a project, a project that started in the 1600s, okay? Which culminated in, in, into the Caribbean and, 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 and former colonized countries gaining independence, the ability to self-determine, yes? The, 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 the gain of universal suffrage, and certain human rights. But when I talk about work, when you talk about influence, we talk about how civilizations have influenced other civilizations. And I said, when you stu study Caribbean and Caribbean theology, you can start from the invention. I go as far back as the 1960s, the 1600s, but even beyond that. I go as far as beginning here. When this is where I begin. But you know, you know, when you begin here, you begin here, the more you as you, you know, at my at the doctoral studies. This is when I started doing this. Okay. I'm doing doc, at my doctorate now. And some of those things. And some of the and I'm doing the foundations of knowledge and the hegemony of faith. And everything that you learn and everything you experience, you bring to bear in your learning. Nothing hides itself from me. Everything is part of the learning experience. But what the point I'm making is cosmopolitanism. You hear, what do you hear when you hear cosmopolitanism? You hear cosmos, the cosmos, yes? The cosmos, cosmo, cosmos, the world. You, you see how you were dissect cosmos, okay? Cosmos, and then we talk about politics. Politan, okay? Yes? The dynamics of that world, the person within that, the travel, the human, the individual, it involves travel. So of course, you're gonna talk about cosmopolitanism. In other words, okay, what is the, and we talk about the location of culture. And, and again, please remember, we, and what is the connection between the cosmopolitan to his location of culture. Oh my God. What is the connection that is important? What is my connection to Jamaica? I'm a cos I will be considered a cosmopolitan. But anyways, moving beyond that, this point is important. Listen to what, listen to what Homi Baba says. Homi Baba talks about the fact that she said, he said, setting out from Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica in the in in 19, in, in 2002, and you know, I was reading a book about writing. I was writing, um, I helped to teach a writing course here in the US. I teach a writing course here in the US. I facilitate a writing course. And I was working with a group of individuals in terms of developing their writing, writing, developing their writing, especially among Okay, and I'm gonna make a very important point as it relates to 
this particular issue. I'm in terms of writing, well, it left me. But let's forget, I can't remember what the point I was, I, it will come back to me. But anyways, Homi Baba said that, setting from, from the 1970s to study English, she left, so I left Jamaica in, in the 19, in 2009, started studying at Penn, University of Penn in 2010. I went to, I did not get into University of Penn and I got into Temple University. One of my friends said, why don't you apply to UPenn? I'm like, please, UPenn, that's an Ivy League school. I will never get into that school. No, go ahead and apply. I applied. I was always a writer. I loved writing from I was, I don't know why. I was just always writing. I write, I write, I write with the gleaner. I would always write. So I wrote an essay and applied. I got into the U, to UPenn. UPenn is the number is an Ivy League, one of the one of the top, one of the one of the seven Ivy Leagues in the US with Harvard, Columbia, Princeton. And that's not why I wear this shirt. I didn't even know I was going to talk about Penn today. But I'm make I'm going somewhere with, with this because I'm talking about Homi Baba's, talking about the cosmopolitan. And there's and it's important that we talk about the cosmopolitan because I'm going to raise an issue. Somebody challenged me today, this week about something that was happening in the world, in another part of the world, other than Haiti and in Jamaica, in the US, okay? Juneteenth, the emancipation of slavery, or the emancipate, because slaves were free, remember the North and the South, some slaves got freedom, but the, okay, before others, and it, okay? And some, so, the, 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 while in, what, the North and the South, and, while the other slaves, it took them some time for them to get the news or to, so once the proclamation got to them, then so Juneteenth, Juneteenth, which is June 19th, is a record, it's a celebration of the proclamation. They were already freed. Some were free, but not all, not all. Okay. Because of this, of the civil war and some, and there was, and the dispute between, between the North and the South. Okay. The North wanted to, wanted to keep their slaves. I mean, wanted to, um, from, was promoted slavery, was wanted to get rid of their slavery while the others wanted to, want, did not want to free. So that, of course, that's a problem. And you, in a society, when you have that, a kind of society like that, that creates problems for society, this dividedness. That is why it's good for us to understand culture and to learn about culture and position. But I, at the point I am making, somebody challenged me about this, this, this issue of cosmopolitanism and Samaritanism. And I will bring that up later on in the course. But you notice the Greek influence in English. You notice the English, you notice as, as civilization progressed, there is this influence. So that is why if, if we speak English, the English binocular, and the English binocular is corrupted by Latin and Greek, why not study Latin and Greek too? <laughs> but anyways, setting out from Bombay in the 1970s. So I, 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 sorry, back to the story. I applied for Penn, I got in, but I only got in, they said, based on the essay I wrote. Based on the essay I wrote. I didn't give them my University of the West. I went to UWE, 
but I didn't do much. I only did one year at UA. I did a master's of philosophy and I did, okay. And I, but, but you know what? I, all of this stuff I gave to UPenn, I got it from Jamaica Theological Seminary. Yes. My education, my transcripts and, and everything from, from Jamaica. That's where all my, I didn't do a GRE. I didn't do a SAT. All I did was to apply and write an essay. They loved the essay, which is part of my book today. They loved it. They said, oh my God, yes, please come here. <laughs> but the point I want to talk about is, is how I'm not promoting myself. I am talking about cosmopolitanism and culture and how our culture is important. We talk about CLR James last week, talk about what opportunities the West Indian man have. We have opportunities. But because we, the West Indian is so prolific and so profound, no matter how they try to keep down the West Indian, through debt and structural adjustment and through, 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 through a discriminatory immigration policy, and whatever the case might be, the Caribbean man, the West Indian man, there's always this little bit Talawanes. We talk about um, critical race theory and people like Dana Berry White talking about, and critical race theory is now re-looking at slavery, re-looking at the past, looking at the resistance, looking at the fight. But, in, in, but some people will think, oh, you went to Penn, wow, that's an Ivy League school. It's actually the top 20 school in the world, or top 10, it's between the top 10 and the top 20 in the school in the world. And they have one. Donald Trump went to my school when I was graduating. Uh, was it some of the the, the most famous movie stars and politicians was in my graduation class? But here are my rubbing shoulders. Without no GRE or SAT. But yet still we talk about language, and then I go around people and say, "Wow, you speak the language. You speak English so well." And with pride, I say, "Oh, we we, we speak English in Jamaica." with pride, you know, that, that I still have that colonization. I'm colonized to think that if I speak anything other than English, something is wrong, okay? <laughs> but I'm going somewhere, follow me. Setting out from Bombay, from Bombay in the 1970s to study English at Oxford University. Oxford is the number one. I think it's number two now, Cambridge surpassed it. In many ways, it represented the culmination of an Indian middle-class trajectory. You notice it represents what? It represents the culmination, the hallmark, the zenith of an Indian middle-class or middle-class trajectory. Where, so the trajectory of, of someone that's a part of the middle-class in India or part of the, who, who is exposed, or the part of the middle class in Jamaica, or part of the middle class in the Trinidad, or whatever the case might be. Who's, ex, you know, you went to Campion College, yes, Campion College, and you went to Campion College. <laughs> who put up their handbook? Somebody went to Campion College? Somebody have a question? I'm going to wrap up in one minute. No, I mean, not end the class. I'm going to take a break in. I'm 
if I go beyond 7.55, you are free to interrupt me, okay? Because I have a way of talking, talking, and talking. But listen to this. But let me read this. So setting out from Bombay in the 1970s to study English at Oxford was in many ways the culmination of an Indian middle-class trajectory where formal education and high culture concluded in emulating the canons of elite English. Emulating what? The canons of scripture, the canon of, the canon of English taste. In other words, it signaled for, for, for the English, I mean, sorry, for the colonial man who is going to, for, who is traveling from the global north, south to the global north, to take up English at Oxford. It's like, it's an achievement. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's as if you have arrived to, you will now, you will take, you will be, you will take on more of that English identity. And then you go, and then when you go back to your country, you go back as the cardinate English, the cardinate English, the cardinate, and you know, there's a, and then there's something, there's the issue of privilege when you go outside of your culture to one of those European countries and even go to school to one of those countries. Oh, people, you are seen different because you went to an, a school that is part of the establishment, one of the Ivy Leagues. And we wear it and we boast up with it as if nothing other. But, okay, that's part of privilege. But even myself, can I escape that privilege? The way in which we are, yes, question from somebody. Someone had their hand up, I don't remember who it was. Who was it that had a question? Somebody had their hand up. If you can't speak, yeah. Are you guys hearing me? Yes, sir. Somebody had their hand up, who is it? Okay, well, I only have three minutes left before the break. So let me hurry up. I'm gonna wrap up here. Um, not well, it, she said that anyway, she went to, but, but you get, you guys got the point I'm making. My everyday life, however, provided quite a different inheritance. So, you know, here is it that she, he, you know, he achieved, you know, he said that he's moving, he went to Oxford, got into Oxford. It was like, you know, the achievement of something great, you know? Indian middle-class trajectory where formal education and high culture, high culture, high culture, notice the word high culture, high class. We use that word in the Caribbean a lot, in English culture, in the Commonwealth, high culture. In other words, you know, you're going to England to the high culture as if there is high, middle and low, <laughs> right? But anyways, and she used, and he used high in brackets, high culture, concluded in emulating the canons of elite English taste. It con okay, emulating the what? The canons of English taste. So, okay, so you, you, you have arrived and you even more exposure, or it's as if once you get there to Oxford, once you get to England, once you get to the US, once you get to France, once you get to Spain, to Spain, you have achieved, you have realized, or you have, and you know, even the immigration system, you have to have ties. You have to have connections, but in a sense, it, you know, 
You have to assimilate the culture. You have arrived. You have you 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 fit the bar. You 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 have you have been able to transform the people. The man from the global self has been able to transform himself in such a way. Okay, in such a way that he is he has not reached the zenith, the ultimate. He has not reached where the post, the mother country, the mother country, the first world country, the post-industrial country, so to speak. My everyday life, however, and but he listen to what he said, that, and he talked about English taste. My everyday life, however, provided quite a different inheritance. It was lived in that rich cultural mix of languages and lifestyles that most, what was the culture of, of Homi Baba in, 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 in England? It was, it, he, said, he said that my, my everyday life, however, provided quite a different inheritance. It was lived in that rich, cultural mix of languages and lifestyle that most cosmopolitan Indian cities celebrated and perpetuate in their vernacular existence. All held in a suspension of Welsh missionary accent, English peppered with an Anglo-Indian patois. What are you doing? <laughs> How are you? That was sometimes cast aside for American slang, picked by from the movies or popular music. And some people force themselves to speak like that. And then when you come back from, when you go back to, the, to, the, to, to your location of culture, when you go back to your location of culture, Jamaica. So it now, seems you have a question. Yeah, go ahead. No, man, I'm saying it seems you have a question. Your hand is raised. Oh my God, I thought it was you guys. Okay. Learning to work with the contradictory strain of language. Anyways, so I will stop. I'm going to stop there for, because we are going to pick back up with um, Homi Baba, because I am telling you, she talks about the Trinidadian is a cosmopolitan. The Trinidadian is a cosmopolitan. He is, not, he, he is a natural anarchist, the cosmopolitan. He is a natural anarchist. He writes, he is a natural anarchist who has never been able to take the eminent at their own valuation. He is without the greater corruption of sanctimoniousness and can never make pleas for intolerance in the name of piety. And um, as I wrap up this, I'm going to take a break right now um, in one second. I um, because we, when we talk about, uh, wow, 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 wow. There was a point I wanted to make, and I cannot find the document that I had with me. Uh, ah, here we go. Here we go. Um, I, I made a note that I wanted to, just before we wrap up. We're going to wrap up. We're going to take a break at 8 and come back at 8.15. And then when we come back at 8.15, let me share my... When we come back at 8.15, we are going to do... We're going to continue with the... Um, let me just do, uh, where do we do this? So where is the slideshow button? Slideshow. By the, um, 
did I, I I don't think I had sent you guys this. Did I send you guys the outline? Probably I'm not sure. Slideshow. Zoom slideshow. Oops. No, this is not the slideshow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? What what is going on? I said slideshow from the beginning. Okay. Now, um, so the last, when we come back from the break, we will continue to delve now into what we were doing last week. We started by looking at Arawaks to Africans, and I'm going to talk a little bit, some, a little bit more about that when we come back. Then we went, we talked a little bit about Descartes, 1596 to 1650, Kohito we, we visited him a little bit when we talk about critical thinking, okay? But um, as we begin the study of Caribbean thought and Caribbean thinking, we want to think, we talk about um, the phenomenology of the mind and that mind-body dualism. We talked about that in Caribbean theology yesterday. Um, but I want Kant and history. If you don't remember anything, you remember what, what's written here? He's from 1724 to 1804. What was happening between 1724 and 1804? Okay, what was that before the Reformation or after the Reformation? Where was the Caribbean? Or who did he influence that had made a significant impact on Caribbean life? Of, of, okay. And we talked about he was what? An, a German philosopher who made significant contributions to various fields of philosophy, ethics, metaphysics, epistemology. And I said, remember I said to you, you know, we are part of that what? Of that, that civilization that Kant comes from. He has helped to influence society and our understanding of things or post-colonialism or rational. Now his influences were rationalism. During the period of Renaissance and Reformation and the enlightenment and rationalism, empiricism using empirical data or because he, because you know, and building on, on, uh, building on Aristotle. Enlightenment philosophy, talk about enlightenment philosophy. But, you know, we talk about, in, in the word enlightened is important and, the, and it is quite accurate and appropriate to use the word enlightened. Because if we, uh, we, we talk about enlightenment philosophies and understanding that there were the dark ages, there were the dark, even if you study history and church history, if you study Caribbean history, you may not see the dark ages, but you will see the dark ages depending on where you begin. Okay. But the dark ages was a period where people were kept in the dark through strategy. Yes, through strategy. And then you, you talk about the Enlightenment philosophy, you, the translation of of of, of 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 we talk about vernacular in a vernacular translation of the scriptures into a vernacular that was of the common man. But before it was not of the common man. I mean, so when you, I'm, but anyway, let's continue. One of the most important um, points that I said of Kant last week was that he said that what? History is a result of what? The varieties of what? Human nature and circumstance. What does that mean? What does, what does he mean by that? And how does that speak to Caribbean experience? Or, can, or, or what does that tell us about our approach to Caribbean thought and 
to Caribbean. Notice I use the word approach. You have to use the word approach because Kant will help to inform our histor historicity or historical approaches and philosophical approaches to the subject of the thing. Okay. So he talked about the universal, the idea for a universal history with a, oh my God. Here we go again. Cosmopolitan purpose. We said that last week. And we're moving into having a discussion about this cosmopolitan. Now, who might be cosmopolitan? And I will stop here and take a break. Are we to define, are we to define by analogy, contemporary Hindi, Udu, or Cantonese, Cantonese from China? Cultural world, cultural worlds, the cultural worlds, Hindi in Hindu. Okay, or Cantonese or Urdu of Pakistan and so on. I mean, uh, who might be cosmopolitan? In fact, according to uh, according to um, to to um, to I think I was I got an I I um what's your name again? And I can't, I didn't even write it down properly. It's it's Wer, it's Werbner, Werbner. It's um, Nina Werbner and Kiel Yu says in an article, Understanding Vernacular Cosmopolitanism, talking about, so um, they did a review of Homi Baba's book and the whole issue of vernacular cosmopolitanism. How are we to, understand the paradoxical, the paradoxical conjoining of the local, of the local parochial, the local parochial, talk about the parochial view. Okay, the local, what's the parochial view? Okay, we thought, oh, you're, oh, that's a parochial understanding of history, a traditional, okay? All right, traditional view. You, and usually that is, that is centered around colonial view, yes? Eurocentric, but anyways. How are we to understand the paradoxical, the paradox, paradox is an ambivalence, the paradox, the paradoxical conjoining, two paradoxes conjoining, which is, we talk about binocular cosmopolitanism. Parochial, Parochial, so let me read it. How are we to understand the paradoxical conjoining of the local, of the local, parochial and popular, the local, parochial and popular with a cosmopolitan worldview, with a cosmopolitan worldview, the worldview of the figures, the characters, the diaspora, the diaspora will be part of that cosmopolitan experience or we talk about globalization and this, how are we to, what is the Caribbean in this globalized world? When we start to delve into Franz Fanon and moving beyond and reading, delving in the book that I wrote, Neoliberalism and Globalization, we start to see this a little bit more. Again, let me say this, how are we to understand the paradoxical conjoining of the local, parochial and popular, the local with cosmopolitan view? How does that work in Jamaica? How does that work in the Caribbean? 
Do boundary crossing work in class? Again, I mean, we talk about uh, Homi Baba was what? A boundary crossing working class. In, in a lecture, in a previous Caribbean thought lecture, a lecture I talk about that. And in, when you watch Who Shot the Sheriff and the issue about Bob Marley, I said, who gets to leave? Okay, and we're gonna watch, uh, we're gonna watch the film Life and Death later on. Um, actually, we're gonna watch it this um, next week, Wednesday, because on Monday we have a special guest coming in to talk, the executive director and legal attorney and scholar, former um, and former member of the United Nations International um, Group, working with him, the, the president of Haiti, and um, and uh, he is. He, and he is going to be presenting next week, Monday, at, at, at our class. But how are we to understand the paradoxical conjoining of the local, parochial, and popular with a cosmopolitan worldview? Do boundary-crossing working class, mass migrants, and refugees evolve the open toleration, cultural competence, and utopian worldview claimed by globe-trotting elite travelers? Do boundary-crossing working class, mass migrants, and refugees evolve the open toleration, open tolerate, tolerate, acceptance, cultural competition, cultural competition, and utopian, perfect worldview of a perfect world, claimed by globe-trotting elite travelers, Do boundary crossing working class mass migrants and refugees evolve the open toleration? Conversely, can there be an enlightened cosmopolitanism that is not rooted in the final, in the final analysis in patriotic and culturally committed loyalties to a particular place? This, what I'm asking you on the whole issue of this is an important question for Caribbean and Caribbean identity and experience, because yes, and I talk about a general will and the problem of culture, the problem of nationalism, the problem of grouping. It is in one sense, we want to self-determine. In one sense, we want our own nation. In one sense, that was the Bangladesh spirit. But in another sense, how are we to accept the cosmopolitan? How are we to accept the mass migrant traveler outside of his culture? How is he to be seen? Is he seen in one sense here, and how is he seen in, in his location of culture? Can there be an enlightened, talk about enlightenment, enlightenment. <laughs> you see how this particular tracing Caribbean history and what we're talking about here, we talk about Kant and talk about the enlightenment philosophy and the cosmopolitan purpose, a cosmopolitan purpose, the idea of a universal history with a purpose that is universal. To the individual without negating the individual. As Kai Gagard says, what is the ultimate? Uh, okay, uh, once you, once, what is the ultimate of all? Every time we don't know, a man said, once you label me, you negate me. Once you label me, you negate me. This speaks to the issue of label, in a sense. In the final analysis, in patriotic and cultural committed loyalties, what are my loyalties? as against your loyalties. Are my loyalties derived 
and derived from what? Or are they external to any derivation from the internal? But it is the experiences of Caribbean reality in many, in many instances over the last couple of years that has led to the mass migration, where you have Caribbean cosmopolitans traveling all over the world looking for opportunity, people traveling for opportunity. Can there be an enlightened cosmopolitan? As you travel, can there be? No, you can't. Look at Spice and what she had to go through. She is praised in some part of the US, but looked down upon in Jamaica. You know why? And I had a big debate with my family in, when was it? Was it last year? We were all gathered in Jersey Shore and we, they were talking about Spice <laughs> and her decision to, to do, to, um, to perform at an, a particular event. And an event that, and many Jamaicans say she sold us out. That's what we're talking about, okay? Or you find that, um, I remember when my twin brother, I was 19, my twin brother left Jamaica when, uh, my twin brother Ricardo left Jamaica. I have an identical twin. He left Jamaica when he was like about 18, 19. And he came back one time after a year and then he came back six years after that. But when he came back, you know, it's as if we were looking, he was just so weird. He was drinking all this bottled water, everything is bottled water. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's so Americanized. <laughs> but then you go back to, um, okay, you go back to, 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 what, uh, to Louise Bennett Coverley, her Coverley's um, genius, a literary genius that she is when she said, not even a little, not even a little, not a little twang, not a little twang. I'm, what, any of you guys know that poem when she talk about, not even a little twang, she what was that poem about? You remember that poem, guys? Yes, sir. The son went to, I think it was America, and he came back maybe about two months after, and his language was still the same or something. I don't remember how long he said the Louis Bennett poem. Yes, very powerful. Visit it, guys, because that speaks to the issue of cosmopolitanism. I love Louise Bennett. She, she has a way of using our language and how we talk, okay, to, prof, to provide a profound intellectual basis for particular truth. I, but we, we think that we can be intellectual without speaking patois. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> All right, with, uh, so what are your loyalties to a particular place? All right, that's it. Um, so therefore the question is, are we to define, so who might be the cosmopolitan? And how are we to, to place minority elites, minority elites in new post-colonial nations, minority elites, in new post-colonial nations who struggle to defend their local cultures and see justice through multicultural citizenship that's what I'm about today. That's what I do, multicultural citizenship, while being at the same time liberal, liberal, free, tolerant, open, and highly educated world travelers. I, of course, I wrote a book, I went to pen. This is, and you know, when you, <laughs> this is quite interesting. Uh, how are we to place minority elites? in new post-colonial nations who struggle to defend their local cultures. 
we defend our local cultures and then seek justice through multicultural cultural citizenship, multicultural diversity, a diverse citizen. You're not citizen of just Jamaica. I'm a citizen of the world, yes? While being at the same time, liberal, tolerant, and highly educated world travelers. How can you bridge that gap? It's quite powerful, quite interesting. We will take a break here, we'll be back. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the class. We'll be back in, um, we'll, take a, we'll take a 10 minutes break. We'll be right back after these messages. I mean, we'll be right back after this.
dependent in Caribbean, we are asking the question, which two Caribbean countries, which two Caribbean countries took their independence instead of receiving it as a gift through ceremonies? By the way, do you, know, do you notice something about the question? You notice the question? The question is provocative, <laughs> okay? The, the question is a provocative question. It's a troublesome question, so to speak. Which two Caribbean countries took their independence instead of receiving it as a gift through ceremonies? Some people will have an issue with this, will take issue with this, okay? And some political figures as well, they would think that, okay, no, 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 that's not true. There no Caribbean islands got their independence through ceremony. So that is a question that you guys could talk, that interact with. But one person said Belize and Haiti. I, I don't see where Belize um, fought for an independence in terms of have a revolution leading to an independence. There is nowhere in the history that you have read. But I mean, we have about how many persons in the class? About 12 or 13, only five. 13 persons, sir. Only five persons answered the question. Why? Why? Why only five of 12 people participated in this? What's going on? I'm not sure if you're seeing a response on me, but when I pressed, when I selected my answer and pressed submit, it just went off the screen and it seemed, it seemed as if it wasn't submitted. Oh, wow, wow. Okay. I'm using my phone as well, so maybe that's the same issue. Yeah, the the other same issue. Same issue. Okay, sorry about that. All right, so yes. The answer is Cuba and Haiti. But then I ask you this question, not just to answer it, to get it right or wrong. I ask this question to start, for us to start generating some ideas and thoughts around it. Why would we, why, what am I getting at when we talk about receiving gift as against, I mean, receiving as against take? Because of course, from the subaltern view, from the history from below, people who are, part of the struggle who have come out of that struggle, but we're still writing about the struggle because we're still seeing struggle in de facto and de facto factors. What is de facto factors and de facto de jure factors? De facto factors are de jure factors is systematic, de facto factors is, is not a part of the system. In other words, we talk about discriminatory tactics. Okay, discriminatory tactics. In other words, so the the discrimination against slavery at one time was a part of the system. It was, and the system was created in such a way to discriminate against it. But now we have moved on and they have, they have, they have made illegal certain discriminatory practices and behaviors. However, through de facto factors, in other words, preferences and subtle ways we, we continue to discriminate, discrimination and injustices in the world. Talking about, say for example, this de facto president in Haiti. Anyways, um, but even so, I say to you guys, the beautiful thing about Haiti's and Cuba's independence and freedom was when they got it at first, was the fact that They didn't receive it from another man as through ceremonies, as if that man is their God and have gifts of freedom to grant anyone, as if men aren't born free. I say that in my new book, Neoliberal Globalization Reconsidered, 
neo-capitalism and the death of nations, neoliberal, neoliberal globalization reconsidered, neo-capitalism and the death of nations. Notice the play upon words, the pun, because Adam Smith wrote the book, The Wealth of Nations, Capitalism and the Wealth of Nations, as if capitalism provides wealth. So I have rewritten that, rewritten that con the conversation. And now I'm saying it's neo-capitalism and the death of nations, okay? But that's the poetic ways of writing because I love poetry. I love to include poetry in my writing. It's, it makes it colorful. But look at this. The, it says, right, so I say, I mean, I make the point that and this is a powerful point. I'm, about, I'm going to end the, end the poll now. Somebody said Belize. No, it's not Belize. Okay. And let's go. I have another poll. When you look at the white, when you look at the black man, yes, when you look at the black man, the colonized, the former colonized man, and the way in which he secured his freedom. By the way, I'm gonna, there's, oh, there's something about violence I have to talk about. I have to present a, a paper about violence with you guys, because somebody asked me in the previous Caribbean thought class, whether or not this behavior, there was something in the news about using boats and all of this theft and um, this white color crime in Jamaica and whether or not it stems from colonization. And of course, so I did a whole paper about colonization and violence. And whether or not they are connected, I will present it in this class if I have time. Hopefully, I do. There's so many so much material that we want to get to. But I have said that um, when you look at, I I made the point, and I guess I won't make it now. But late, I made the point, a powerful point about violence. And even when you look at Franz Fanon and Homi Baba. Louise Bennett, the way in which they write, the way in which they practice their craft, it was through violence, okay? It made people feel uncomfortable. V.S. Nepal talking about some duppies and some characters from Bakabush. That's not usual, okay? So, I mean, so we talk about the violence, we talk about violence, we're not talking about, I mean, social movements, social movements. And if you look at the post, the colonizers and they, sorry, the post-colonial subjects and the colonial subjects, it, if they had to fight, many of, the, many of us had to, many, many of them had to fight, but some of, the, some of their fight devolved into privilege and to beautiful ceremonies. But I say to you, when you look at, who can behave violently as against who can't? And or the repercussions of those who behave violently towards a particular stimuli as against those who have not, as against those who have received, as against those who have with a particular, with, with the, the dependent on the repercussions, the repercussions of that. Say, for example, talk about the Black Lives Matter movement in America. Black Lives Matter movement in America. And 
they were fighting because of police brutality. But why police brutality? Because first of all, the discrimination in terms of, of policing. Police, the police act brutally, is quick to meet, to meet to meet with violence, to meet out violence and and brutality to, to our black brothers and sisters. But to another set of people, it's not the same. And even certain behaviors and actions are seen as violent and aggressive. Yes, certain black behavior, certain black attitude, certain black style. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about ceremonies. Say, for example, Jamaica's independence was a beautiful ceremony. We, we received our freedom and we received our gifts of independence as if it's not our country. We live there and we have the right to self-determinant, oh, our independence and our freedoms as human beings should not come from anywhere, should not come from another man because all men are inherently free. So I question our independence. Yes, I do. I question the independence and the type of independence and the spirit of the independence and how we got the independence as against how Cuba and Haiti got independence. The beautiful ceremonies, but, but please remember that also some nationalists, they wanted an independence where they can, they can become part of the elites now. Now we don't have to rely on the European elites. Now we have our own elites, but we continue with the system of elitism. There's one other thing I want you guys to do for me before we, um, there's one other poll that we have. So this poll has ended, so I'm gonna stop sharing that. Now I'm gonna launch another one. Um, actually, did you guys do a poll that asked, okay, I, did you guys answer this question before in this class? Have we misunderstood our history as Jamaicans or Caribbean peoples of African descent? Did you guys answer that question before? Yes. yes. Did you guys did that in a poll? Yes, sir, we did. Oh, and then the second one was, has our heritage been misclassified? Did you guys do that as well? Yes, sir. And then the third one is, what is the Caribbean? Oh, no, we, you guys didn't do that one yet. Oh, single choice. What is the Caribbean? Oh, I yes, started out of many. Okay, yeah, 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 you guys did that. Okay, so you did. Okay, great. So now, how many polls have gone already, sir? Sorry? How many polls have gone already? They did one, two, three, four. This is the fifth one. I don't remember. And I'm about to launch it. I'm about to launch it. There we go. Okay, I'm gonna um, do this one. It says, is it true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti? Yes or no? Break out in your groups? Actually, Break out in your groups. So this is a group submission, sir? Yeah, I want this to be a group submission. Is it true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti? Is it true? And uh, break out in your group and have a discussion about this. 
Now the thing is, so this session, this particular session is important. I'm going to give you up so until which group, which group? Wait, 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 wait. Listen, listen. Up until nine o'clock. So I think there's so a way that I can breakout rooms, please. Sorry, get some breakout rooms. All right, I'm going to do that. All right, let me go back to the uh, cosmopolitan. See if I can edit it. They want uh, how do I do the breakout rooms again? I haven't done breakout rooms in such a long time. Um, give me a second, guys. I'm doing a breakout room for you guys. Uh, how do I do this? Ken. Ken. Ah. Ken. Susie, mute. Sorry. Now I'm going to create three groups. You guys get the chance to choose it. it. Says let participants choose room. All right, create, and then open all rooms options. Let me see there are options. Allow participants to choose room. Allow participants to return to the main session. Automatically move all assigned participants into breakout rooms. Automatically move all selected participants into breakout rooms to main meeting. Breakout rooms close after 10 minutes. Okay, what time is it now? It's 8.44. All right. Um, breakout rooms close after, I'm gonna say 15 minutes. Um, notify me when time is up, blah, 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 blah. Countdown 120 seconds. Let's up that. Oh, that's the highest, okay. All right, so now I can. All right. So now I can open all rooms. Oops. All right, uh, there are three rooms. Okay. I'm going to ask each of you to join a room. Okay. Can you guys do that? Yes, sir. So join a room and can you guys still see the uh, the poll question? I mean, sorry, the, the, the question that I'm asking you guys about cosmopolitanism. Can I, can I, oh no, it's still, it's still launched. All right, there, there we go. So there are three breakout rooms. Oh, wow. You guys, okay, unassigned. Room one is full. Room one, okay, wait, room one, I see Jadine, Michaelia, Romaine, Sasha Kay. All right, so you have, um, so this exercise will take 15 minutes. Break out in your rooms and then talk about how you answer the question as it relates to, is it true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti? Okay. Um, when you come back, we will, I would love to hear what you guys, the responses and what you guys have said, and then we will take a break around 9.15 and come back and we will talk and I'll wrap up the class looking at um, continuing to look at the, um, continuing with the, oh, continuing with the, um, the, looking at the tracing, tracing Caribbean current and works, um, starting from Arawak to Africa and then, and, and we, will, we, will do, we will do that. And then when we are finished, 
um, masterclass, okay?
So we are back and we are recording again. Um, so the question is, is it true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti? Um, and I'm asking you guys to answer the question. And um, so far, it's, oh, it's 50-50. Five of our, 50% of the class said yes. It is true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti. And then 50, the other 50% says, no, no, Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica. So there are some of you who said yes, and some of you said no. I want to know why some of you say yes, why some of you say no. Let's start with group one. Group one. Oh, so group two is Dane, Susie, Jacinth, and Keon. All right, fine. Um, I'm not hearing any. Who is in group one? Who are the students? Who are the students in group one? Who are the students in group one? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Yes, sir, I am hearing you. All right, who are the students in group? Can hear you, sir, can hear you. Who are the students in group one? So group two has Dane, Susie, Jacinth, and Kaya. Fine. Um, we don't have any people in group one. Okay, fine. Group two. Sir. What you're saying, um, group two is to is to is to do a presentation. What are you saying? I mean, not a presentation. We're not, we're having a class. We're having a discussion, and I ask your question to discuss it amongst yourself in your group. Okay, all right. Develop so, I mean, okay. So, so the question: What did your group decide? Did everybody in your group say yes, or did okay. some people say yes and some people say no? And what was the consensus? Okay, um, um, group two, we had we, we came to the decision that, um, um, that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti, okay. and that is because we found out that, um, both Jamaica and Haiti had gotten their emancipation before, um, before the US. And it is, and Juneteenth was actually um, a celebration, or it is, it is a celebration of um, emancipation of slavery um, in the U.S. In the U.S. So um, yes, that's sir. Okay. 
Anybody else? Anybody else? Um, so, so you're saying that no, Juneteenth has nothing to do with Jamaica or Haiti because, because, um, uh, because Juneteenth represents the the emancipation or the of the emancipation of all slaves in the U.S. Um, and that was after Jamaica and in Haiti's independence. So Juneteenth has nothing to do Not with emancipation. Uh, sorry? Not independence, emancipation. Sorry, dear. Okay, emancipation. All right. Um, interesting. And okay, anybody else from another group? Group three. Yes, sir. For me, I said no. Okay. Why? Mm -hmm. I believe Haiti, especially Haiti, contributed to the, the influence of the American slave mm -hmm. um, wanting emancipation for themselves. So I chose yeah. no. Okay. That's good. Good, good, good. Um, I chose yes. Group one. You're group one. Group three, sir. Oh, group. Where so we have one? divide in group three. Wait, who is in group three? Tell me. Maxine, Keisha, and Sasha K. Okay. Okay. And who is in group? So that's group one. Okay, great. And you that's can check. That's group three. So who is group one then? Sir, I think it's the duppy that you were referring to earlier in group one. <laughs> Only one person in group one? But when I looked at earlier, there were like six people in group one. No, sir, the duppy that you mentioned earlier, is th those are the members. Uh, Louis Bennett, yeah. So nobody's responding. Uh, why nobody in group one wants to respond? What's going on? So we know Susie is in a group. Sashana is in a group. Yes? Sashana? Oh, sir, somebody said in the chat that they didn't have any discussions. Okay, but fine. I still want to hear your opinion on the matter. Well, how did you respond? Um, who are the, uh, how did you respond? Sir, back yes. to group three. Um, okay. Keisha and I had the same response. Maxine had a different response. So she was trying to um, share her point earlier. Okay, Maxine, let's hear what yeah. you, what, what is your, what's your opinion? What, what right. is it? So huh? I, chose, I chose yes for my answer because mm -hmm. um, America, their declaration was signed in 1963 and it didn't even come into full force until maybe two or three years after, because they had so, they, 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 um, the planter class was, they hid the information from George that, that um, as it, George Washington signed. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until this general started going around in places like Texas and Virginia and talking to the slaves. They went to the black churches, the AME churches and telling them that they were free. And then that was the time that they made them free. 
Jamaica got their independent, their um, sorry, emancipation in 1834 to 1838. Haiti fought for their thing in 1793. And even though, you know, all of this took time, but this was before America. Um, what I think George Washington, after, after a while, he said that he wanted to send some Americans some some free black people, not the Americans, some free black people to Haiti. There is there's a little island near to Haiti there. And he wanted to send them there so that they can get colonized and, and so on. Because they said that even though he wanted to set the, the slavery, um, the slaves free, he didn't really was chummy chummy with the black people. So he, he did, he tried to send a group down to Haiti so that they can get colonized. And some of them died from chicken pox. And they, they didn't send the ship with the food for them and after suffering. So he, he, about a year later, he sent a ship down and carried them back to those that, that survived. He took them back to America. So yes, Nowadays, Jamaica, you know, Jamaica celebrate everything. So we hear about Juneteenth and we are celebrating it in some places, but it doesn't really affect us. It doesn't really affect us that much because we don't even understand why the history behind Juneteenth. So that's why I chose yes for my answer. Mm, that was quite profound. I love how you answered that question. I loved how you answered that question and how you went into the history. And you were onto something, but you stopped, and that's fine. If you <laughs> want to develop that some more, push it to its logical end. It okay. would, you would come to a conclusion. You would, it, would, it, it would lead you to an understanding or an awareness. Because that you're asking some very important questions. I, asked, I mean, so the first thing you said, of course, you talked about Jamaica getting independence in 1833, and um, I mean, sorry, uh, slaves being emancipated at that time. But please remember, when was the the proclamation? When was the Juneteenth represents the proclamation that all slaves were free in the U.S. But when the emancipation came first, only some knew that they were free; the others didn't knew, because as we said, you know about this, the the war between the North and the South. Okay, where the South wanted to keep their slaves, the North did not. Now, the question is, why is it that the North wanted to, 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 to free slaves, but the South didn't? That. But, but, you, but whatever the case, you might say, oh, that's good. Wow, the North, they wanted to free the slaves? No, well, yes, but what was happening in the world economically? Having slaves was not for the North. The North was becoming much more sophisticated in their technology, in their production. And so at some points, having slaves did not serve the interest of the profiteers. It did not. And by that, I mean, capitalism is about profit. The profiteers is about profit. They want, you want to make a profit. Okay, 
But then, and, and we talk about Adam Smith, talk about capitalism and the wealth of nations, talk about the development of production, the sophistication of technology, and the way in which we change labor. Now, people thought we came up with specialization and division of labor and wage labor versus chattel labor versus slave labor. Whoa, come on now. Slave labor versus chattel labor versus what? Wage labor. And so while the North was equipped and ready and put everything in place, for, the South was not ready. They were still, the kind of society was much more agricultural that depend heavily on slave labor still in order to guarantee the kind of mass production and to guarantee the, the kind of profit they're hoping for. While in the North, they were moving beyond slave labor to a kind of labor that was still oppressive. But this time, Slave owners don't have to look after the slaves' needs. It is becoming expensive to have slaves at this time. It is becoming expensive. So leading up to Juneteenth, and by the way, thank you for giving us those amazing dates. Okay, thank you, that was really good. And um, the only thing you need now is said, well, you see, according to so and so and so forth, or this person said whatever, but, but that you do that in your papers, that's fine. But that was powerful, that was great. But the point I'm here making is that when you look, we're having a conversation about labor, but we won't be, we won't be too, we won't be, we won't be like this. You know how horses are controlled, how animals are controlled. We will take, we will take the filters from our eyes and ask deep questions. So when you start to think about, well, it was prudent economically to not have slaves at the time. And the North was ready, was ready to move on to another kind of slavery. And sorry, another kind of labor, another kind of labor. Yes? While in the South, they weren't ready. But whatever the case might be, I'm going to answer this question in a very profound way. I'm going to answer the question in a very, very profound way. And I'm going to share my screen with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my position. You guys aren't right or wrong. But Jamaica got independent in 1833. And many of the Commonwealth. But it wasn't until 1865, 1865, that we heard that the slaves became aware that they were free. So they were free, but they were working as if they were not free. The same thing, the, the slaves in the South or the other slaves, because other slaves were free, but it's not free until everybody's free. So that is why they wait until Juneteenth. They could have celebrated emancipation but before that, but because all of their brothers and sisters weren't free, they, they said, no, we're not celebrating slavery before the time when all Americans got to the only the North. No, we want to celebrate it when everybody were proclaimed free. When everyone was, was sorry, when everyone was proclaimed free. And we talk about the Americas and okay, the Americas and how active and dynamic the Americas was in terms of slaves traveling from Jamaica to, you know, some people were, oh, Jamaica is free. So some runaway slaves, found their way in the Caribbean, in Jamaica. And then some slaves 
that left Jamaica and came to the Caribbean, they were either enslaved or were living in the mountains with the American Indians. When you study the archives. But the, ex but the experience is similar. I said to you, what did C.L.R. James say? If you guys read C.L.R. James. C.L.R. James said of Fidel Castro and West Indian. Fidel Castro is not black. The Cubans are black. But they're, the revolution is West Indian. We are fighting the same fight against the same thing for the same thing. That is, okay. So, in a, you know, so we can relate to that because in Jamaica we got independence, but it was, we weren't proclaimed free until 1865. Till 1865. Same thing in Juneteenth. Juneteenth speaks to the emancipation of slaves, people like us, black people, colonized black people, urban people. People who weren't Anglo-Saxon or people who weren't considered white. If you weren't white, then you were subject to another race. You were treated as property. You were treated as animal with no rights, no universal suffrage. But they say, and throughout the America, and just so you know, we talk about, we think about how. When you think about the triangular trade and the evolution of the triangular trade. From Europe, the Europeans went from Europe, the discoverers or the Christianizers or the, the missionaries, the missionaries, but they weren't really missionaries. They, they went to, they said they were going to Christianize. You know, Christopher Columbus was, was a missionary. It was a Christian missionary promoting the gospel of the religion of Europe. He was going to Christianize the, um, the world. We're going to bring religion to a world where, where he, where according to the, the European, if you are not worshiping our God, then you don't have a religion. So when we talk, so when they are going, so as missionaries, with the ulterior motive of making money by you know finding gold, but they said they were going to uh, to spread the gospel. But also, you know why they said that they were going to spread the gospel? Because that was part of the way of them getting the money. Okay? The money from the crown and the money from the church. Christopher Columbus got money from the crown and he got money from the church. Okay? But when, you are, when you're trying to get money to do an expedition, you have, to, you have to disclose why. And he would not have probably got the kind of support he got if he did not say from the church, he got money from the church. And guess what? A member of the church was with the discoverers, especially when you get money from the church. So he got money from the church and from the crown, okay? He was going to Christianize the world, the Americas. And he was also going and, okay, Christianize that, that in terms of representing the church. And he was all find, trying to, and he was also going to find gold because he represented also the merchants, the nobles, the dominant class of the day, the monarchs. So they went from, uh, okay, and treated the other people with ethnocentrism as if, oh, God could not have interacted with those people. They're primitive, they're backward, they don't have language. They're not sophisticated, they're not dignified. That's the assumption. 
the assumptions. When, when people want to control, they redefine the other. And that's what happened in terms of the European explore, exploration. They redefine the other as hate with all kinds of names, heathen. The he heathens. Heathens are those people who are not. They don't talk to the Europeans when even if you did not come under, if, even if you were baptized a Christian, you're not really treated as a heathen. Heathen was a word that reserved for the primitive, the slave, the African, the American Indian. But they went from, from, the, from Europe with guns. By the time we get to the slave trade in 1655, they went uh, beyond 1655 in the 1660s, 70s. And of course, the Dutch and Portuguese, they were doing some kind of small exploration in terms of slavery. But they, the, when the trade, when the triangular trade started, it went, they went from Europe to Africa, brought guns. They brought guns. And they traded with, and, then when I, and by the way, I say to you, when you think about Africans, don't think about Africans in terms of tribes. They were a country. Don't think of them in terms of tribes, tribal. They were a country with laws and rules. Yes, with laws and rules and dignity and the system. But when you think about Africa, the picture that comes up in your mind is primitive savages, because that is what you see in the religious books when we talk about them and in the, in the, in the, in the sociological books that we read and the psychology books and so on and the medical books. Even when, even when, they, talk, when they talk about diseases and stuff, even to today, or black people are more predisposed and they make it so in terms of the experience of blackness in, this, in, in the Caribbean and the world. Because we talk about the black position. In the new book I'm writing, the new book I'm writing, I talk about, there's a chapter, there's a chapter in that new book I'm writing that talks about the black position. What is the black position? What am I talking about? I'm not going to give it away. Okay. The black position. Wherever you are in the world, what's the black position? How can we not be connected with Haitians and Jamaicans, the, the Americans? And we talk about the cosmopolitanism and global travels and the connections between. So you went, so we talk about, so they went from Cuba, from Europe to Africa, bring guns and outsmarted and tricked the Africans. Because the Africans, they, there was a fierce competition in Africa. The African countries were competing for dominance too among themselves. They were competing for dominance. So the Europeans said, hey, made some deals. We will give you guns, okay, to fight your wars for dominance and your slaves, your best and strongest and most beautiful, and you bring them to us. We'll take them from you and we'll bring the guns. But that deal that they made with that one African country, they made it with all other African countries. So then, okay, with all the different peoples, it's great. And that, that also helped to destabilize Africa. Okay? It helped the destabilization of Africa as well, because that was how they were able to dominate Africa. And in the 1600s, and the, you, Britain had, had um, the Brits had colonized Egypt as well. Because if you read Cromer's and Cromer, 
in Balfour, the parliamentarian, giving an address to parliament about Egypt in the 1600s, speaking so in such an ethnocentric way, using his own valid judgment to make a determination about the Egyptians. So anyway, they went to Africa and they traded. Okay, and they took slaves to this on the ship and they, they went from Africa to, to the Americas. And, and within them, the Americas, Jamaica, and all along the coast of the Americas and, and the Caribbean, some of the slaves were, they were, put, they were placing slaves up and down the Americas. Yeah, some went, so when we talk about, okay, so there is some, so this region is part, and I said to you, it's part of that new world, it's part of that experience, the dynamic that has led to the new world. The Caribbean is part of that, the US is part of that, and by, by that, the world had existed, but we're talking about the Western civilization, we talk about Westerner, the Westerner. The Jamaican wasn't seen as the Westerner. The American was, the Westerner was the European, they were the Westerner. But, so, but Western culture has penetrated and taken a hold of all of the Americas. And the only reason why the, Amer why the black slaves, why all the black slaves were freed in America at the same um, time, or at the time when Ameri the other um, Caribbean, Haitians or Jamaicans, because of the slave master and the slave owner and the colonial power. Who is the slave master? In, in, the, in, the, in America, in the US. But of course, they got independence from the Brits. They got independence from Britain. So, they, so the con control changed hands. The okay, and one of the reasons why the US got independence from Britain was because they wanted to be able to control their own wealth. It's for monetary reasons. But if you read other, if you read other histories of the U.S. and what and what happened, of course you will you will be taught something else. You will learn that um, um, there was a they wanted their own. Well, of course you will talk. They, they wanted to. It was some. They were having some. Uh, uh, there was issue with the crown in terms of paying taxes. The minute you know they they were they were opposed to giving sending money all the way back to Britain. We're talking about the locals. The, the Americans were from Britain. These very same people, the, the plantocracy, they are all from Europe, from England, or from Britain. Okay. And, and they were part of that whole slave system. But of course, we talk about the slave, slave owner. The slave owner is different, but the slave is not. The slave is still the slave. Part of that experience mixed up with the native and with those from Africa. So in a sense, there is still this brotherhood, this, the experience of slavery, the experience of the, of the triangular trade, the experience of the Americas. That's all. So I responded to, um, I'm going to share my screen. As, what time is it? 9.32. Good. I'm going to share my screen because I want to raise an issue with you guys. Um, here as I wrap up.
Now, um, question, is it true that Juneteenth had nothing to do with Haiti or Jamaica? I tweeted this and I also wrote it in, in an article. The truth depends, the truth depends, the truth depends, and we talk about different, there are different kinds of truth. In other words, it's all a matter of perspective. That's the answer to me. Is it true that Juneteenth had nothing to do with Haiti or Jamaica? It's, it's a matter of perspective. It depends, on, it depends on the slant you take. The truth, and I say to you, the truth, the truth of this, is it true that, and I say to you, the truth depends on one's perspective. Now listen to this provocative part of this statement. The truth depends on one's perspective. So I ask you, you, and you guys answered the question, what is your perspective? What was your approach? So you answered the question, but why did you answer it the way you did? What was going on in your mind? What worldviews shape or ideas about history and all things help to shape? So, and I like how Maxine brought in some readings and about history and so on, that was beautiful. And I say to you both, the truth depends on your perspective, especially, especially if it is myopic. Now, I'm a debater as well, okay? So I am, and I studied apologetics and I teach apologetics, which is apologetics is the use of logic to defend the faith. The truth depends on one's perspectives, especially if it is myopic and limited, limited in that, it does not go beyond time and space. But, I'm gonna say this again. Question, is it true that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Haiti or Jamaica? The truth, the truth depends on one's perspective, especially if it is myopic. Myopic dealing with myopia. Myopia, do you have myopia? I mean, myopia is, has to do with your eyesight, how far you can see your whole clothes. Myo okay. Myopic, if it's myopic, it's the same thing I said, limited, in that it does not go beyond time and space. It does not go beyond, again, the law of thermodynamic. It does not go beyond what, again, time, history, and space, geography. Oh! I said, you, the, the truth of that answer and how you answer it depends on what? Your perspective, especially if it is myopic and limited in that, in that, in that what? In that it does not go beyond what? Time, time, history, a period in history. Yes, we're talking about Ju uh, Juneteenth as against um, Maxine referred to it earlier. What one was before, we were before in terms of America's emancipation. But we talk about it doesn't go beyond time. So if it doesn't, okay. And space, geography. If we are only limited within our own milieu, then we won't see it. But Harris, Harris, this, young, this gentleman named HKTV Harris on Twitter, he responded to me because, well, because on Juneteenth, 
I tweeted on June, and I'm going to talk about it. And oh, I refer to it here. I said, but Harris would want us to believe that it doesn't, it doesn't, that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Haiti. I said, Harris would want us to believe that it doesn't, based on his reply to the post I shared on Juneteenth, calling for us to, to do to be good Samaritans. Even outside of any historical issue, if we think about it from a really theological basis or a matter of faith, then yes, even if even outside of any kind of history. So uh, my response is that he would want us to believe that it doesn't, based on his reply to the post, I shared on Juneteenth, calling for us to be good Samaritans. In the fight for justice, in the fight for justice, because we're talking about what defined West Indian, this West Indianness, what it is that connected West Indian people of, the, of yesterday and today, it was the, the, the drive. Let's read it again. Let's read it again. Komi Baba talks about that when, he, when he, she, she talked about moving, when she talked about looking back, moving forward. Notes on vernacular cosmopolitanism. When she said, when he said, in a small way, my early life was caught on the crossroads that marked the end of empire. And by empire, we're talking about the post-colonial drive, the post-colonial drive towards the new horizons of a third world of free nations. Notice she used the word free nations and not nation. Because the fight, the fight for independence wasn't just a Jamaican one or, or a Barbadian one. Or, okay. It was one that involved the Bandung spirit. Free nations, the Bandung spirit embroiled though, embroiled though. So this is a little departure. She said the free nation, yeah, that's that's the drive. However, embroiled at times though, there are some times when this, this post-colonial drive for this new horizons was, was, was affected by, by this, em, this embroilment, this desire for the wayward, wayward means to go outside, the wayward modernist art and literature of Europe that was so much a part of the world of the westernized Indian bourgeoisie. I wonder if you guys understand what Homi Baba is, is getting at here. I, I wonder if you guys, in fact, that's going to be the homework. Uh, what is, I wonder if you guys understand. This is what you call binocular cosmopolitanism. This is what you call the, ox, some, the oxymoron, the oxymoron of that cosmopolitan spirit and that drive. That's what you call, the, that's what's so oxymoronic about this. In one sense, and or ironic, an irony. Maybe I should talk about irony. When you do the foundations of knowledge and the, the foundations of knowledge, liberal studies, you talk, you're gonna talk about, and you study Greek, Greek literature. One of the things that you will meet in Greek literature is the use of irony and dialectic, but we'll, okay. But this is paradoxical, listen to it. The, the post-colonial drive, 
the formerly independent, the formerly colonized, the formerly slave, the former, the West Indian man, the natives, and so the former colonized, they had this post-colonial drive towards the new horizons of a free nation, of a global South, of free nations. The bandung spirit we were, that all of us, because we were all enslaved until so we all are driving towards freedom. Embroiled. So, so, okay, that's the first part. But when she goes on, listen to how she, however, she puts up a different picture here. She critiques herself. Yes, the, in once this sentence, in one sense, there was this drive. But in another sense, it was embroiled at times with what? A desire for the wayward, modernist art and literature of Europe. That was so much a part of the world of the westernized Indian bourgeoisie and by extension, the westernized West Indian, the westernized West Indian bourgeois. What, what, what is that? This is very important. And so I continue, I, I continue. So I continue with the post. I part a little bit, but listen to how I continue with this statement. I said to him, but Harris would want us to believe that it doesn't, it doesn't, based on his reply to the post I shared on Juneteenth, calling for us to be what? Good Samaritans in the fight for justice. Justice is a very important word in, in, in post-colonialism. Justice is a very important word in Black studies. Justice is a very important word in Caribbean thought, in Pan-Africanism. I had posted yesterday via my Twitter as we reflect, and this is what I said, as we reflect and celebrate the emancipation proclamation of all slaves, leading to what? Leading to one, universal suffrages. Because when, when the slaves were freed, they couldn't vote. Could they vote? They couldn't vote. They never had universal suffrage. When Jamaican slaves were freed, could they vote? No, they couldn't vote. Emancipation did not, mean, did not mean universal suffrage. Emancipation, you were free as a slave, but you weren't free to be part of society with of normal men, normal men. You were still part of a, what you were free, but now you move from property to class, yes, from property to, uh, to class. So you move from slave to the bottom of the, the bucket. You still were nobody. We still weren't anybody. So when, you, when, when I ask you the question, what, is, um, the, what, what does it have to do with that? It depends on how we are looking and contextualizing. Jamaicans never had and even today, Haiti. Haiti was the first black colony that was that was that got their independence. But of course, I say to you, they didn't get their independence through ceremony. They fought for their independence, and the slaves weren't freed. Okay, the slaves weren't free. They freed themselves, and it started with a Jamaican who came from Zamikambi named Dotty Bookman, who came to Jamaica with his. African religion with his African faith and went from there, from, from Jamaica. He left Jamaica and ran away to Haiti 
Some of those Haiti ran away from, okay, left, well, some of those with American penetration, there was a, there was travel between the Caribbean of the Americans. And even when the American Indians were here, this particular land, the Americans, there's those richness in this land. You go down to the south of the Americas, it's tropical beauty. You go to the north, it's Alaskan beauty. But I say to you, they were freed slaves, but they weren't freed to vote. They weren't seen as, they were seen as half of people. The same thing happened in the Americas when, when we got Juneteenth. We celebrate Juneteenth as the emancipation, but nothing else. What about universal suffrage? What about civil rights? Civil rights was not until the 1960s in this country and in Jamaica, it wasn't until about what, 1944 that we got universal suffrage in Jamaica and, and parted and some places in the, in the Caribbean. So although we were freed, we weren't free. We were still considered second or half of human beings. So we have to put it into perspective. And I already say to you, my freedom doesn't come from any man. My freedom comes from the fact that I am a man. I'm a human being, just like any other person. No other person have any right to give me any freedom. My freedom is derived. Even that is still in limbo. The fact that even that makes me angry. Even that makes me upset. The thought of being freed by somebody else who at once thought they were more privileged. And privilege continues to this day. And even after we have gotten freedom, gotten freedom from the gods, even though we got freedom from the gods, because if we get it from, some, from somebody like us, then they are God's freedom, the freedom to be human, the freedom to exercise our human right that come from ex something external to us that must be God. But the thing that is external to us that guaranteed our freedom was our farm, our former enslavers. Anyways, as we reflect and celebrate the emancipation of slavery leading to universal suffrages and human rights in the US on this Juneteenth. This is the punch. Let's not forget brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. We talk about the brothers and sisters, CLR James talk about of Fidel Castro. They are West Indians in the fight. They, they are from Latin Africa. Let's not forget them in Haiti. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in Haiti because we thought they were the first country to, to be able to exercise their freedom to write, I'm sorry, to vote and to be a country with laws and they run their own. We thought they were the first, but they're still dealing with justice and, and, and developing democracy in their country, even to today. Ronaldo McKenzie, who help? I'm in a class. Okay, give me two minutes. Um, let, um, okay, sorry about that, guys. So I say to you, let's 
All right, I'm okay. Sorry about that. Um, let's not forget our brothers and sisters. Okay, guys, um, give me a minute. I'm sorry. Um, one second. I'm I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, I I don't remember my, the point I was making. But um. Anyways, I I said that let's not forget brothers and sisters in Haiti, still about, fighting. About not about monster. Okay, but um, I think I've moved beyond that. But let's not forget our brothers and sisters in Haiti still fighting for these same rights. That's the most important part. Yeah, Dottie Bookman. We talk about Dr. Bookman coming from Haiti, to, from Africa. Yeah, Semi Gambi, right? Um, uh, Chantel, Semi Gambi. Yes? Yes, sir, correct. To, and from the there Gambi. to Gambia, from there to Jamaica. And when we, when you start, when we start to look at, by the way, we're going to do Caribbean theology. And when I, when I do that, when I do that topic on Caribbean theology, don't just expect me to talk about Christian theology and systematic theology. I want to talk about the development of Caribbean theology and how it informs us. But more so, why do we have such a, as, as Omi Baba calls it, a position against our African tradition of faith? We'll, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about Obia. I want to talk about spiritism and voodoo and how and the art and Rastafarianism and so on. We're going to talk about a little bit about that in this class, which is very important to the development of Caribbean thinking and Caribbean theology. But how our European ideas have left our anything in our local, our, our, our local nativist ideas about God. Oh, that is put on the fringes, the back burn, because back burner. That is the same thing that she's talking about here. Yeah, free world. But at the same time, we had a desire for the wayward modernist art and literature that was European. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in Haiti for these same rights. That's human. And then I continued by saying that, signed the petition for Haiti, that Caribbean government support a Haitian-led solution against foreign interference. Harris critiqued in the thread that Juneteenth has nothing to do with Haiti, but it does. That's my position. I agree with, no, I'm not, you guys aren't right or wrong, okay? The important thing is that we understand each other and conversations is very important because it may help us to see something that we never saw before, like Maxine. You helped me to see something that I've never seen before. That is good. Okay? That is good. That is good. But I will not proselytize my ideas on you. What I will do is share an expansive view of how we can approach certain dilemmas in society. 
So yes, it does. In the words of C.L.R. James, and I quote, Fidel and the Cubans are not black. Fidel and the Cubans are not black. But their revolution was West Indian. They may not be black, but the revolution is West Indian. The revolution is human. We're fighting for the same cause. Indeed, if one is not free, indeed, if one is not free, this is, this is important. If one is not free, then none is. If one is not free, then none is. We are connected as human beings in the fight for human rights and freedoms. Are we not? So that question is, but you see, so if I were to ask you to revisit this question, how different will you, would you answer it based on some of the new arguments and ideas I put forward? Okay, that's the, one of the questions that I would ask. Okay. Um, how would you answer it? Would, would, your, would, you, would your position be the same based on the foregoing, would it be the same? Anybody, would you update your answer? For me, sir? Yeah, well, no, you all, well, you already said that you would, you <laughs> think it does, um, but, there are, but there are other students in the class who believe that it does. So the question is based on, so based, do you agree with me? Do you, do you okay, but I know some of you don't disagree with me, but what, what are you thinking around my, how do you respond to that? Mm? Oh, you don't have to respond now, but I'm going to wrap up class. I will end class in five minutes. Sorry, in five to five to ten minutes or less. But I'm I do not want to go. No, I'm not going beyond ten or five today. Okay. In your groups, I want you to answer the question. I will send you the homework in a text or email, in an interaction paper. And I'll tell you what I want in a few seconds. But um, let me just, I want to share my screen with you real quickly because there's, I'm going to wrap up the class with this particular thing. Um, this is from the neoliberal journals, sorry, the neoliberal post at RonaldoCMcKenzie.com. Am I still recording? Am I still recording, um, Chantel? Yes, sir, you are recording. Um, yes, sir, you are, sir, you are recording, sir. So after the last class, I sometimes when I share the videos with, of class with you guys, I try, to, I, make the video, I try to make the video dynamic with music in the background because the videos are long with some background images and blah, blah, blah. Excuse me, sir, on that note, can you just turn on the music in the background because I have a hearing problem. Ah, okay, so you don't like no music. I like music, but it's too loud. 
Okay, fine. I'll do that. Um, I'll do that. Um, but the music doesn't, it's not throughout the entire recording, but I'll tone it down. Thank you for that editing tip. Thank you. I appreciate you for that. I will run with that. Now, revisiting Caribbean history, challenging narratives and cultivating a subaltern view. Last week, that's what we did. Last week, we revisited Caribbean history and we will be revisiting Caribbean history. And we will trace it. I haven't finished. I have a, a, actually an outline start, a, an outline I want to share with you. I don't know if I'm going to get through the entire thing, but I'm going to give you the actual thing in your hand. Okay. I think I might have sent it to you guys. I don't know. Um, but the last class, it was more looking at revisiting Caribbean history, challenging narratives, and cultivating a subaltern view. I'm ending with this. And in the introduction, I said, and I want you to note, look at how I, in, I interact with the class last week and how I was able to write it. So if ever you are able, if ever you are asked to write an interaction summary of the class, I begin by saying in an academic way, in a thought-provoking lecture at Jamaica Theological Seminary in Caribbean thought, the exploration of Caribbean thought or Caribbean history from a subaltern perspective took the center stage. The aim was to trace and revisit the currents and works that have shaped the Caribbean region since the seminal publication of Arawaks to Africans by Robert Greenwood and S. Amber in 1979. It's been updated since then. This lecture last week not only presented an outline of influential Caribbean works and thinkers, but also delved into their influences, emphasizing the profound impact they have had on the development of Caribbean life, philosophy, thought, and the interpretation, and the interpretation of its history. Of course, I embedded this video in, in so you guys can watch that. But anyways, beyond that, first thing, questioning narratives, Greenwood's accounts and European influence. The lecture began by questioning the account put forth by Robert Greenwood in Arawaks for African, Greenwood's narrative, which seemingly portrayed the Taino people as disconnected from Africans, and they're present in the Caribbean. This raised concerns about the influence of European history and philosophy on his interpretation of history. It challenged the notion that the Taino people had been completely wiped out and dismissed by connections and dismissed and dismissed any connection they might have had with Africa. And of course, yesterday or day before yesterday, we invited the UIHS to do a presentation. And hopefully you guys are um, actually, oh, to do a presentation which I made available. And if you guys have a, an opportunity to reflect on it or to interact with it, that would be great if you can interact with that. Secondly, a skeptical outlook and critical, it's 10 o'clock, a skeptical outlook and critical re-examination. It's a very short article. The lecture urged the students to critically examine Greenwood's account and approach them with a skeptical mindset. It emphasized the need to reassess our understanding of history, to reinvent ourselves in the 21st century by challenging prevailing narratives. It is in doing so that we can uncover hidden connections, untold stories, 
and alternative perspectives that offer a more comprehensive understanding of Caribbean history and its people. The influence, influential Caribbean works and thinkers. The lecture also provided an illuminating list. Well, it's not exhaustive. We only gave you four or five, but, but we have a list of about 25, sorry, 50 people that summarize that we will, in, in PowerPoint presentation, that you will get a chance to peruse. Works and thinkers whose contributions have shaped the region and influenced its trajectory. By exploring the influential voices, the lecture aimed at what? To shed light on the rich intellectual heritage that has been instrumental in defining Caribbean life, philosophy, thought, and historical interpretation. The expanded information about the influence served as a testament to their, to their enduring impact and relevance. Next, we looked at the impact or the importance of reconnecting with history. Revisiting Caribbean history from a subaltern perspective is vital for the Caribbean community's self-reinvention. Again, revisiting Caribbean history from a subaltern perspective is vital for the Caribbean community's self-reinvention and progress by re-evaluating and critically analyzing the narratives, the narrative, the stories, the histories and so on that have shaped our understanding of the past. We can challenge dominant paradigms, paradigms are patterns. We can challenge dominant paradigms, patterns, and empower marginalized voices. Only through this reconnection with history can we forge a stronger, more inclusive identity that embraces the complexities of our shared heritage. In concluding, in closing, the lecture on the subaltern view of Caribbean history provides a compelling platform to re-examine the region's past by critically questioning established narratives, particularly those influenced by European history and philosophy. Students were encouraged to challenge prevailing assumptions and explore alternative perspectives. The outlined list of influential Caribbean works and thinkers showcase the profound impact these voices have had on shaping Caribbean life, philosophy and thought and historical interpretation. Ultimately, the lecture highlighted the importance of critically reevaluating our history to reinvent ourselves in the 21st century and forge a more inclusive and nuanced understanding of the Caribbean's rich cultural tapestry that leads to a competitive advantage or our competitive advantages, if that can be derived. That was the summary of the last class. And of course, next week when we come back, next week, Monday, if um, I'm hoping to have Brian Concanon here, but if Brian Concanon doesn't come, then we will continue by, um, with, um, with the lecture looking at the, we'll begin with, um, we'll continue with CLR James. Did we do George Padmore the last time? I don't know. And we'll go to CLR James, VS Nepal, and then we will end with French Fanon and then pick up from there after that. So the next class, we will do those, uh, we will pick up from CLR James, VS Nepal, and France Fanon, which is quite powerful. And we will continue to use Homi Baba's book because Homi Baba talk speaks so glowingly about France Fanon and VS Nepal as well. Oh, the next, after France Fanon, the next person we talk about is VS Nepal, okay? 
So the, the so the thing we're gonna look at CLR dreams, VS Nepal, France Fanon, and wait, VS Nepal is on here? Oh yes, it is. I didn't realize CLR dreams, VS Nepal, France Fanon. Perfect. We will talk about I will use Homi Baba's book because Homi Baba does an, a splendid job, okay, in critiquing and uncovering and unearthing in a, in a post-colonial way, these thinkers. We will look at them, um, we'll continue. But just before we do that, on Monday, we will, if, what's his name, if Brian is here, we will have Brian do a presentation and you get a chance to, to ask him questions. Give us an update, what's going on with Haiti? Um, what's going on with um, the, the, the lawsuit um, regarding the, the debt? Um, what's going on with this de facto president and so on? There's some new developments. Um, because as I said, there, there's a practical component of this course. The practical component is what we're talking about when we talk about the UIHS and what we're talking about when we bring Brian Conkin in the show and we are fighting. We, what we learn, to whom much is given, much is required. You leave this classroom now with more information and awareness and you, and you go and bring that light to wherever you are and wherever you go in the Caribbean and to people you meet. Okay, and 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 let yes, and tell and let them read and read the petition. I know some of you haven't read it, and I know some of you haven't signed it. There is no pressure. I'm not pressuring any of you to do anything. Okay, it's up to you. But I hope that you will consider it. Um, and one and one thing that I will and one thing before I go that I want I, I did this at the last class, Caribbean theology. I this um this is Caribbean theology. It should it should not have said that. Um, I wanted to do a presentation on writing but i don't think i have time for this so next week the first class i'm gonna i'm gonna do this um interaction paper reflections and weekly material when you, when i ask you to write weekly reflection paper it should follow a particular flow and i described it in a i have a powerpoint presentation here that speaks to it but i don't think we have time for that so when we come back next week i will begin with this and it's just uh, i think it's just six page a six page slide Okay, but I think I all, um, so we will talk about this when we come back before Brian, before Brian presents. Okay. All right. And that's it for class for today. And then following next week, the following, oh, that's next week, Monday. Then Wednesday, again, what we're doing? Life and death. I, can't, I mean, life and death. I can't wait for you guys to get into that. Well, that's it for class today. You guys were amazing. Um, you guys have an assignment, an interaction paper for this week. Um, by the way, uh, the interaction paper that you have, did I give you a homework on Monday to interact with some of the ideas of the last class with the UIHS? Interact, um, do an interaction paper talking about their presentation, what jumps out. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do, just based on the presentation of UIHS and the understanding of heritage. How now would you approach the assignment to trace your heritage? That's it. How now would you approach it? That's it. Okay. How now would you approach it? Okay. Um, so you, so I think that was the thing you guys were supposed to continue. So do a reflection, do an interaction on 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 that, and um, and and the question I asked. That's it for class. Thank you guys. And then um, there's another homework I want you to do, but it's too much. So, but what I'm going to do is, if you want an extra credit, so I'm going to give an extra credit. You can do add this to the to the interaction for this week. In a small way, my early life was caught on the crossroads that marked the end of an empire. Empire meaning the post-colonial drive towards the new blah, 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 blah. I'll, I'll, do, I'll send this 
excerpt to you guys. Sir. Yes. Before you go, sir, um, I want like, to remind them about the, it's a, it's a final paper. I'm not sure if it's going to be a group or an individual one, but you can let them know. So they are already there. That's the final paper. Um, yes. I don't know if, I think you may have gotten bumped off when we were talking about it, but I, I talked about it in passing earlier. But yes, I said to you guys, you guys will do a final essay paper. The final essay paper will be in your groups. So the groups that you just have, the group that you just formulated, that will be the group that you will work in in order to complete the essay, the final 25-page essay. Okay, you will do a 25-page essay based on um, a topic related to the class. It could be a question from the um, from the syllabus that I have asked you guys to use, or it could be this while in the class, you might be intrigued about something. I leave it open to you guys as well, okay? I will give you some topics you could do, like on urban Indian heritage and the challenge of Jamaican heritage, okay? You could probably do something about that. You could make it into an ethnographic, into an, an anthropological work where you guys in your own groups, okay, are now having to revisit and research your own history and your heritage. Could be that it could be something on 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 uh, on um compensation there's a there's a article i wrote which i will share with you at the next class or the, the, the following the following the next class that looks at unpaid compensation the same issue that deals with the fact that the same issue jamaica jamaicans were slaves were freed in 1832 but it wasn't until 1865 that they received the proclamation that they were free so does it mean that they are owed? Does it mean that they are owed any, any compensation? If they were freed, if they were freed, why were they working without compensation? For, for almost 33 years. That's the class for today, guys. We will talk about that. Um, Sir, will next. you email the homework? I will email the homework, yes. Sorry. Yes, I will do that. And, um, Chantel does a very good job in reminding me. So um, I will email and I will also do a summary of this class and send it out to you guys. I have my work cut out for me and she's okay. What you guys can do is you guys can watch the film and come up with your own summary. Like say for example, UIHS, you can watch the entire film for a video that we did the lecture and then um, and do an, a summary an interaction paper based on that, on the presentation of the UIHS. You can do that, okay? I will, I'm giving, okay, you guys can do that. But this week looks at the issue of heritage, the issue of identity and what, and the prison and what we're hearing coming from the UIHS. And you had, you guys, and that is, you see why I gave you the homework? I gave you the homework the first or second week in preparation for a presentation that we had on Monday. So it was quite profound. And now you guys were gonna go back and rework your homework or maybe approach it a different way. You guys can do that if you want, or, Give me an interaction based on the presentation on Monday. That's it. Now I will give you extra credit for an additional assignment that I will ask you, an extra five credit. We will give, okay? Meaning, what does um, Homi Baba mean by, by what I had said? What does she mean by that? What is she getting at? Okay? And I will send you, though, I will type it up and send that to you guys so that you guys can have it. In, or you can do that in lieu of the other assignment I asked you in terms of the heritage or to write a paper, summarizing and interacting with the UIHS. You could do that. 
okay? Or you could do this one and that one, or just this one by itself. I will explain that in, a, in, a, in an email, not tonight, but tomorrow, okay? Thank you guys. And if you got, remember the text for this class is, this is one of the texts we're doing, using for this class. Baba. okay? Location of culture. In addition to my book, Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance, which is available in ebook and hardcover, paperback and the audio. Um, it's a very important book. It was reviewed as an erudite analysis. I'm not selling myself, well, in a sense I am, but I want you to read the book because it's written by yours truly, by your own professor, by your own Jamaican, by your, okay, people from your own college. That is part of, that is a cosmopolitan. Okay, you want to read it. You want if okay to develop your insights and so on. Okay, that's it. And it's based on data and statistics. But take care, guys. It was such an amazing class. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and to talk with you. And I hope that you will continue to grow and to develop in your own life. And you and to whom much is given, much is required. So I pray that you will be empowered to empower others. I pray that you will be so blessed, that you'll be so moved that God would move upon you and give you content. If you ask God to give you content, he'll give you content, trust me. So I pray that God would bless you and keep you. Open up your understanding, open up your knowledge and, your, your and give you wisdom. And I pray that the students would be able to understand the concepts and be passionate about this course and what they're doing at Jamaica Theological Seminary. I want to pray for the school, JTS. JTS is still struggling financially. I understand earlier today that they have uh, a group of, um, I think they are renting part of the school and so on, and majority of the programs are online. I'm not sure what's going on. But the school over the past couple of years have been struggling financially. And I pray, oh God, that you would bless the school so that they can be a beacon of light to the world. I pray that you would bless the school financially and the students who come to the school, their finances as well. And you will make JTS revolutionary continuing to develop academia and to spread the gospel of love. We pray for those who are struggling with major decisions in their lives. Some people might be dealing with different issues, family, work, school. People might have situations that's just so difficult. Some students, I remember some students couldn't go to a class because of some problems. People are dealing with so much today in the 21st century. There's so many things to worry about and to deal with. And even in Jamaica, Lord God, with the violence and crime and the issue of dependency and lack, I pray that you grow and strengthen the people's creative juices and our competitive edge. Help me to facilitate the course in a way that the students will understand, but not just to understand, but a way that will move them, move them to not inaction, but to action. We tell you thanks for all that you are doing in our lives and that you will continue to do. And I pray, and, you, and somebody prayed some time ago and they prayed it and it happened in such a way that they write it and put it in the Bible. So that experience is normative for me. So he, he says, knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Have we ever asked for a, a, a bread and you get a rock? means that God is in tune and is responsive and sensitive to the issues of our lives. There are many people who may feel uh, challenged by that piece of news. 
There are many people who, who because they are constantly praying and they're constant, constantly not seeing any change in their lives. And many go away leaving, becoming more doubtful. But, oh God, I pray that there are times when we don't see what is happening and, where we're, and, and what you're doing. And life is not easy. Life is complex. And so I pray that you will help us to deal with the complexities of this life. And that you will meet my, always this, the students in this class where they are hurting and where they need you, oh God. Send them a messenger. Send them opportunities and help them and teach them to take advantage of the opportunities. Opportunities may come one way, but it may come another way. But may we be alert. May we be open. May we be discerning. So we, we ask, continue to bless these students in a very dynamic and profound way. And even now, whatever needs they have, I pray, Lord God, that if nothing is too small for God, and I may pray that, and you are then that which nothing greater can be conceived or imagined. So intervene in our lives in such a profound and significant way even now. And may we see the movement of God and testify of this amazing movement of God in our lives so that others may come to the awareness of the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. We tell you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys. Amen. Thank you. Take care. God bless you guys. Good night, sir. Good night. Be safe.